We have to go back! Hello everyone, welcome back to the Flashback Flicks Retro Movie Podcast. I'm Ricky. I'm Grayson. And squeak, squeakum, squeak, squeaker, squeak, squeakum, squeak, uh, squeak, squeakums. Oh, I understood that perfectly. Grace and I both have the gift of gab, which is mm-hmm. why we are so excited to be reviewing the 1998 movie Doctor Doolittle. Oh, do a little, do a lot. Oh yeah, it's up to you. Do yeah. the most mm. uh, with mm. with just Doolittle because it's cleaner hitting the theaters. Uh, going on a journey, we decided to look back at not the original one that came out in the 60s, but the one from our childhood. Uh, with Eddie Murphy. And Speak for yourself. I am <laughs> 75 years old. I remember I saw the ticket stub and the and the nickel for change they gave me because it was a nickel to go see the Nickelodeon. Sorry, I made you too old, Grayson. Too old. I, it's, I, I made myself too old when I said 75. Uh, so before we go into our review of this movie, uh, first off, if this is your first time listening, uh, welcome. We review movies from the past 10 years or later and see how they hold up over time in tandem, somewhat in tandem with m- recent movie releases. So if this sounds like a bunch of fun, make sure that you subscribe so you can be notified every single time that we mm. post mm-hmm. a new podcast review and if you're worried that it's just going to be a couple of guys tearing down movies you loved from your childhood it's the opposite of that we almost exclusively say nice stuff about every single movie yeah uh so yeah because it, it, it's all for the love of movies we love, love movies, movies and yeah. uh and we think that movies from the past are worth giving a second look. So let's go back to Dr. Doolittle. Like we said, Dr. Doolittle um, is a property all unto its own. It actually starts back as a book uh, written by Hugh Lofting with a total of 12 books in the series, the first of which is the story of Dr. Doolittle, published in 1920, where Dr. Doolittle is a little bit different than this movie. He has learned how to talk to animals. Uh, Basically, the way that you um, duo lingo another language he oh. did that he do little lingoed um <laughs> how to talk to different do animals lingo. yeah uh um and although he is able to treat humans he doesn't like to so he decided to become a vet instead because he likes talking to animals now here's the thing that i thought was so interesting uh it had a series of 12 books here are here's the title of all 12 books the story of Dr. Doolittle, uh, followed by the voyages of Dr. Doolittle, Dr. Doolittle's post office, natural third progression, uh, mm-hmm. Dr. Doolittle's circus, Dr. Doolittle's zoo, Dr. Doolittle's caravan, Dr. Doolittle's garden, Dr. Doolittle in the moon, not on the in moon, in the moon, in the moon, Dr. Doolittle's return, Dr. Doolittle and the secret lake, Dr. Doolittle and the green canary, and ending on Dr. Doolittle's Puddleby Adventures. Wow. The Dr. Doolittle in the Chamber of Marsupials. <laughs> right? Yeah, wow. Uh, I mean, it's a very popular series, and it naturally what you do with popular book series is you turn them into movies. So the first movie adaptation of Dr. Doolittle uh, made its debut in 1967 as a musical uh, under the name Dr. Doolittle. And it was a a closer adaptation um, to the book. 
but it was a box office bomb, but it still remains as a classic to some people. So then in 1998, they decided to do what Eddie Murphy did very well prior to adapt an older movie into a modern day adaptation with the Netty Professor. Um, mm. And they decided to give the, the Eddie Murphy treatment. And then we are here with Dr. Doolittle, which was very difficult to find online because it in the movie poster is Dr. Doolittle. But yeah. the actual billing is doctor spelt out. And if you oh. do spell dr. Doolittle, um, you get the sequels first. So that oh. was. Oh, someone lost their job over that. <laughs> yeah. All I can tell from looking at the poster is that they did dr. Doolittle just so Eddie Murphy could get his head bent over low enough <laughs> to listen to the animals. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's uh you mentioned the nutty professor. This caused a lot of confusion for me because it's been a long time since I've seen this movie. And when we decided when we decided to watch this, uh I was waiting for the clumps to show up. <laughs> I was like, where are the clumps? Where is the okay, this isn't the nutty professor. Oh. Okay. You can see my mistake. <laughs> um and I mean it he Eddie Murphy, that is, went through this period of time where he was just, uh, his personality was larger than life and really still is. Oh, yeah. But Dr. Doolittle, to me, was really locked in that same time period as Nutty Professor in the clumps. And you're like, man, that guy can do anything. And so this was just a lot of fun. And what I really appreciate is that uh, it, this movie received a ton of awards as well, um, as well as nominations. Like uh, Eddie Murphy got nominated for favorite actor in a comedy for the Blockbuster Entertainment Awards, oh. uh, along with Oliver Platt and Kyla Pratt. Uh, yes, there is a difference, Platt no and Pratt. Uh, no relation because it's spelled differently, different <laughs> words. Um, uh, but they they got three nominations for the Blockbuster Entertainment Awards. The, uh, I mean... ASCAP Film and Television Music Awards uh, gave them the award for most performed songs from motion pictures. And that was Timberland. Uh, I mean, they have like different awards that it it really too many to list here. Um, But it was up for favorite movie for the Kids Choice Awards in 1999. Yeah, and, and I'm pretty sure I voted for that. I'm pretty sure, pretty sure Ricky really was the uh, the whip for that. <laughs> uh, really whipped up the votes from all the kids at the Y. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, yeah, he's like, we have to put it on top. Um, but it was uh, really just such a fun movie, and I'm I'm glad that that we watched this. Well, and the interesting thing about this movie is it became like. A, a franchise all unto itself. So um, it did very well at the box office on a budget of seventy million. It went on to make over two hundred and ninety-four million worldwide, and it spawned another sequel, Doctor Doolittle Two, and three spin-off sequels. They Dr. didn't call Doolittle. it Doctor Too Little. Oh, <laughs> Too Little, Too Late. Oh. Fast and the Furious presents. I think they just were like, okay, no. He's a doctor. He makes house calls. It's Dr. Doolittle Nature Calls. What? Who did that? Who took what? How many years late were we? Not that. Oh, whatever. Just call it Doolittle 2. I should have fired you when you put (laughs) dr. 
and so after Dr. Doolittle 2, it spawned three spinoffs uh, starring Kyla Pratt, Dr. Doolittle 3, Dr. Doolittle colon Tale to the Chief, and oh. Dr. Doolittle colon Million Dollar Mutts. Uh, the last three being all direct-to-video. So I had not seen all the sequels, but I've seen okay. the trailer to at least two of the sequels. Uh, I That's did high see, praise. Yeah. <laughs> I did see Dr. Doolittle 2, though. I do remember that one. Uh-huh. Um, but I, did, but I, I had a, a early 2000s crush on Kyla Pratt. Uh, oh. She's also the voice of Penny in The Proud Family, and oh. she was on the uh, sitcom One on One. And... Um, and we didn't see much of her after, really, the Doctor Doolittle movies. Uh, but yeah, I uh, I had a crush on her. Um, mm. And but so going back to how this became a franchise unto itself, there was in Europe a PlayStation Two game based on Doctor Doolittle, <laughs> released mm. in two thousand six. What would that be? Are you? I I guess the text comes up at the bottom, or it's just I, a yeah. Break out of the institution? I really think it is either a a Duolingo predecessor or um, Animal Doctor Simulator. And and another really interesting thing about this movie that sticks to my mind, and I feel like most uh, kids who grew up in the 90s, is uh, the soundtrack. The soundtrack to this movie was in an era where musical artists would release singles on movie soundtracks and there is a song that became like a chart topping hit by Aaliyah um a-a-l-i-y-a-h called Mm -hmm. are you that somebody and that's what I remember more than anything about Dr. Doolittle is that this song was on that soundtrack and it it got nominated for an MTV movie award it was one of the best songs to come out of like the late 90s it made it onto 21 on Billboard Top 100 um, and received a nomination for the Grammys. Yeah, Grammy nomination for Best Female R&B Vocal Performance. And it oh. is such a fun song. If you haven't listened to it, I'm sure we will post it somewhere on our social media. Uh, and it was it was one of my favorite songs. And uh, and I still remember some of the choreography to it because like we would try to dance to the song and it was just... Such an iconic song. But yeah, that, that's what I remember being a tied to this movie more than anything that actually happened in the movie. Mm. Uh, that being said, I remember loving this movie, but rewatching it this time was like, like, it's like, you know how sometimes, or I'll put it like this it's like, oh, I can see pretty well. And then you put glasses on, you're like, this is what people see? Um, yeah, like, like a horse. Like a horse, exactly. So I remember watching the movie. I'm like, oh, yeah, the animals talk. But then I was actually watching. I'm like, oh, this is what the story is about. It was basically like (laughs) Hook, but with talking animals. (laughs) You forgot your way. There you are, Doolittle. (laughs) There you are, Story. (laughs) Yeah, that's, um, that's a good point. I had a little bit of that feeling this time that... The primary conflict is that people think he is actually mentally unstable, um, which is not what I remember. I remember being like, he's got to solve animal problems. No, he's got to solve his own problems. Yeah. Um, So I, 
Yeah, I, it was not how I remembered it. It's actually much deeper and much more geared towards adults. A lot of the humor, a lot of the humor is for the parents. Absolutely. 100% for the parents. And I know that because when I saw it as a child, I didn't get those jokes. <laughs> I didn't know what Norm MacDonald was saying or what Chris Rock was saying. Right. Uh, but now I get it, and it's hilarious. I mean, speaking of, I mean, the cast alone with Dr. Doolittle is amazing. I mean, you have, like you said, Chris Rock, Norm MacDonald. Um, you have Ellen DeGeneres as the voice of the dog that Dr. Doolittle had as a child. And this is way before she was doing fish voices. Right. <laughs> yeah. uh, like when they say, hey, yeah, Finding Dory, she just dusts off her copy of uh, Dr. Doolittle, which, by the way, made its way to Laserdisc. So... Mm. It belongs yeah, in the good. Laserdisc collection. Um, you have Raven Simone. She voiced herself as, you know, human being Raven Simone. No, no voice, no bird voices she played is a sentence that I should re-say. She did not play uh, any bird voices. Um, oh, because of ravens. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Got it. Um, but yeah, I mean, Norm MacDonald, I mean, he is really the through line through the entire Doolittle franchise because he shows up in all of them. Um, you had uh, Gilbert Gottfried, John Leguizamo, Brian Doyle Murray as the old Beagle, yeah. just like Paul Rubens. Just, I'm just, oh, yeah. you can scroll down IMDb and look at the old <laughs> you, you can read it. It's there. What yeah. was fun for me was seeing a pre-West Wing Richard Schiff and Oliver Platt because yeah. they were the two doctor friends. They would work <laughs> together again uh, on West Wing. And so to see them here, I was like, this is crazy. Um, I considered sectioning that off for headcanon, but let's, you know, let's draw the line there. Yeah. Uh, but it was really fun because it was, I mean, just a couple years later is when Richard Schiff would uh, become Toby Ziegler. Love me the Ziegler. He made the the shift. Okay. Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> um very sorry about that. Um, but yeah, so one of the things that I uh, that I found in research that I thought was interesting to watch this time around was um, I I think maybe I partly forgot about it or maybe it was just embedded in my brain as just like, you know, oh, yeah, that's nothing to bring attention to. But the animal mouth movements. Uh, yeah. So. Mm. Yeah, let's talk about that. That was like one of the newest technological innovations at the time was yeah. creating the illusions of animals actually talking. Um, and the way it did is that, you know, animals are filmed moving their mouths naturally and in post-production they're manipulated frame by frame to make it seem that they're forming words. Um, and it's different than what they did in Babe in 1995, where all the animal mouths were 3D images. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was really interesting. But also how they made actual animatronic puppets for right. a lot of these scenes. And Purely for safety, really. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, like, you know, the lions. Because here's, I think, the most mind-blowing fact about this movie. Eddie Murphy is terrified of live animals. Really? Absolutely terrified. And he insisted that as many as possible be superimposed digitally in both movies. So several takes in which he had to be in the same room as an animal apparently ended with him screaming. Um, and I think that that is 
that that just makes me respect Eddie Murphy as an actor so much more. More than that I, he would I take the job. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we've read actors turning down roles for far less. Far uh, less. Yeah, but this is like, oh, I have an actual phobia. But you know what? I'm going to be the guy known for being around animals. I mean, wow. I was just so, so very impressed with that. I think the thing that they do very well in this movie is the same thing that they did well with the original Men in Black. And that mm. is to kind of bring out these personalities of um, these animals in a way that are are not expected or um, are way more human than we would expect them to be. Yeah, uh, like well, Chris yeah. Rock. Chris Rock as a, as a guinea pig was <laughs> so hilarious. I didn't even need to look at the cast list because right? there's so much personality in each of these animals. Where you're like, yeah, that is Albert Brooks. I know right. it's Albert Brooks. It couldn't be anyone else except yeah. maybe Bill Murray. And I, but there's so much personality in here that uh, I think the real strength of this, uh, and I haven't seen the new Doolittle, so I'm not, I can't compare the two, but I think the real strength of this movie is that the personalities of the animals are just as fleshed out as the personalities of the humans. Yeah. Um, and we talked about the cast. Obviously, the animal cast is is huge. But the fact that Paul Giamatti can just walk into this movie <laughs> and then out of our lives like it's nothing. It just <laughs> yeah. But he's he's in such a small part of the movie. But you immediately understand the rich history that he has with Doctor Doolittle, and right. you're like, oh, this guy has very personal stakes and a vendetta against him, and you're on board. And they got, like, the perfect actor to embody that. Um, and so, to me, that's the real strength, that the animals and the humans feel on even playing field uh, with how much development they do. Oh, yeah. uh, just everyone has such a big personality in this movie. It uh, makes it really captivating to watch. Like, like I mentioned before, they are telling this story of, like, oh, this guy kind of lost his passion and like he's he's not connecting to people the way that he used to he just has one night where he treats a bunch of animals um and he kind of finds that spark in him again um that bark in him again uh so that was kind of odd and I, i wonder if it was in more deleted scenes because the other human characters make reference to like you are chirping or you are barking, but we really don't see him do that a whole lot. And maybe that's a choice that we're seeing this through, you know, our hero's eyes. We're right. going to interpret it. We can't see him as crazy. I think right. is the biggest thing. Like we are on his side. We know it's true, mm-hmm. and we're not going to. They, they don't do any of the, like. Well, maybe. Maybe he is like, maybe he belongs. Like we right. know the whole time, unless you're, you know, pulling at you know, threads for headcanon, but right. we know the whole time that this is his actual ability. Absolutely. Um, so I just thought that was an interesting directorial choice of like, we're not going to really hear him speak mm-hmm. animal. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to see it through his eyes. Right. Very much like uh, the Santa Claus. Um, it, like th- that being the major conflict is just like, I mean, people think that he's crazy, but he really is Santa Claus. Um, or Miracle on 35th, is it 4th? Ninth. Uh, what you're going to want to do is you're going to want to take a left. Okay. And you're going to go up a few blocks. Yeah. Uh, cause I believe it's Miracle on 34th Street. 34th Street. I always get, yeah. No, there's a, there's a really good bagel shop on the 
39th. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I really like that too because that's something that I... <laughs> Got distracted by the bagels. <laughs> Uh, that that is something that I didn't notice before, or really realize, because I do remember when they thought that he was crazy, uh, but I don't remember as a kid being like realizing the transformation that was happening by him being able to speak to animals. I don't remember him just like being really mean and kind of cold and basically doing the same thing that his dad did, which is just like, hey, throw all these like just childish wonderment away um, and just. Be be a fit in adult kind of thing like that. Yeah. I completely missed as a kid. I was just like, oh yeah, he can talk to animals and I think he's crazy. And now they don't think he's crazy because he operated on the tiger. And that yeah. was that was the thing. But I missed that whole other family storyline really. And I actually uh, I give credit to the movie for doing that because I think it's these really nuanced uh, moments where. Yeah, he and his dad have kind of been at odds for a long time, not as close as they could have been. And then when the grandfather has the conversation uh, with Maya Doolittle about sometimes dads can be wrong and then gives the knowing look back to John Doolittle, uh, it it says everything non-verbally, which is you know, a, a lot to ask for a kid to pick up, but for the parents that are going to have to rewatch this over and over again because their kid likes the funny guinea pig, yeah. you're you're able to dig deeper emotionally and have those just really well executed moments. Kudos to the movie for making something that we're watching this what twenty years later, mm-hmm. and we are getting something completely new out of this film than when we watched it when it first came out and that's that is hard to do in a kid's film a lot of time uh so yeah this was just a super enjoyable experience all around absolutely and i watched it in a parking lot on my phone because i was too early to a meeting so it was still fun in any format is that a call from the wild or is it a head cannon That's a very sick elephant saying headcanon. <laughs> Get him to a doctor. I'll do it. I'll do it like a lion. I think that'd be better. Headcanon. Oh, that was very good. <laughs> Destroyed my throat. <laughs> and his larynx is gone. Uh, headcanon is a part of the show where we share a few unique ideas about the movie uh, and untold stories based on evidence provided by the film. So I wanted to go out there a little bit with my headcanon. So Newton's third law is for every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. Uh, Mm -hmm. Therefore, if Dr. Doolittle can speak to and understand animals, then there must be an animal that can speak to and understand people. Therefore, Dr. Doolittle's counterpart is none other than (laughs) Scrooge-Doo! Yeah, I love that. That... It's almost like his tether. But the inverse. Uh, no, that's that's great. Yeah, because I mean, I, I never really think about Scooby's verbalizations really a whole lot until recently. The new trailer uh, came out. Yeah, and I was watching the theater. And my wife goes, "When did when did Scooby get the ability to talk that much?" Right. And I was like, "I think he's kind of like been developing yes. it." Um, and you know, he's doing a great job. Absolutely. Yeah, he's picking up English very well. On human lingo. Yeah. <laughs> Hello, Raggy. <clears throat> Hello, Shaggy. Oh, I got it. Scooby. Oh, uh, 
Your that was voice. a great Scooby, much better than my elephant or lion <laughs> impression. That that is really incredible headcanon. And you. it's a shame that they didn't explore that in the sequels. I feel like that would have been a really great uh, launching off point. Yeah. Or they could still do like a secret sequel and just go full glass on it. Um, be like, what was the name of that doctor who's like you but the opposite? Rotten Ruillo. <laughs> Scooby. <laughs> yeah. I just imagine Scooby's at the diner. <laughs> just sitting in the diner, yeah, eating a plate of Scooby snacks. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, Ricky, I told you before we started recording that if this episode went off the rails at any point, it would be during my headcanon. Yes. Um, I do have, I do have do. actual. I do have a little headcanon. I have what I would consider my prime headcanon, but like I do sometimes, I'm going to just rapid fire a couple of notable mentions, I feel, in headcanon that I couldn't really make click. So um, we'll just start at the top here that his uh, car accident was actually fatal. (laughs) when he <laughs> hit Norm MacDonald as a dog. Uh, he died in the crash, and this is secretly a Ghost Dad sequel somehow. <laughs> I was in the car. Don't worry about it. Um, oh, my God. Uh, secondly, that this is somehow a Rise of the Planet of the Apes prequel because oh, of oh. animal communication and San Francisco, hey. which we've talked about tied in tied into Ant-Man uh, because of interspecies communication in San Francisco. Oh, wow. Man, that city does that a lot. Um, (laughs) And then uh, I tried connecting this to the Raven universe, that she got her psychic powers uh, from the same kind of mental abilities that John Doolittle has. So that's why I was interested in how he communicated with them and the fact that we didn't see it as much, because like, what if it is more of a telepathic situation Mm. which would explain... That's so Raven. That's really uh, good. So I, that that was that was like mediumly developed headcanon. Um, I also just wrote here: John Doolittle is a mutant. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, he's just like a really professional X Man. <laughs> um, I also went through this uh, this reincarnation idea, mostly because you know, he is a human that talks to animals. I think it'd be interesting that he was, at some point, an animal that talked to humans, uh, primarily a donkey, uh, which oh. was odd in the Shrek universe. Like, a talking yeah. donkey was a weird thing. And so, he again, the tether um, that he... Came full circle. But going back to the reincarnation thing, I thought it was interesting that Ellen DeGeneres and uh, Albert Brooks were playing animals in this uh, and that they're also in Finding Nemo slash uh, Dory. Um, what I also find interesting is that Albert Brooks was in Defending Your Life, where he cycles through. Uh, basically, Defending Your Life is about. Uh, a, a guy that dies goes to like this holding place where you are judged whether or not you're going to go on to like the good place or you're going to be reincarnated and try again. Oh, um, like cats. Yeah, it's cats. Um, <laughs> you get it. Um, and so that Finding Nemo and Finding Dory would actually be different incarnations of the same characters from this at different points in their life and connect it back to 
defending your life. Okay, all that's out of the way. Uh, oh, except for this, which is maybe the craziest headcanon I've ever come up with, that the kid from the old Tootsie Pop commercial is actually John Doolittle, and that's why he can ask like the turtle and the owl and all oh those my. animals how many licks it takes. <laughs> why is that kid talking to animals? Oh it's John God. Doolittle. Uh, okay, so now <laughs> this is just a, a ploy to sell candy. Oh, all right, wow. now... My actual headcanon, the one that I'm going to hang my hat on, is when Dr. Doodle is incarcerated, well, I guess when he's a patient at, at the asylum, um, they're watching Mr. Ed. They're talking mm-hmm. about how they make the mouth move. One of the people that he's watched, one of the other patients, um, is played by Pruitt Taylor Vince, who mm-hmm. Pruitt Taylor Vince, he is one of... Those actors who are like that guy, um, he he typically plays mentally disturbed characters just because he has uh, an, an eye condition that kind of makes his eyes go back and forth really quickly. Um, but he's played other characters, but he he's kind of you know made a name for himself with this type of character a lot of the time. Um, and I was first introduced to Pruitt Taylor Vince in the film Identity. Oh. And have you seen Identity, Ricky? Have I? Okay, this is, is a, Cusack, this right? Is, yeah, yeah, John Cusack's <laughs> Identity. He didn't direct it or anything. He's just in it. John Cusack um, presents himself <laughs> acting in this movie. He did not direct. So this is. I'm saying spoiler alert for Identity with John Cusack. If you have not seen it, don't listen to this next part. I don't know. Like mute it for. 15 seconds so i gotta do this fast uh that Doolittle is one of the personalities from identity um mm. which is why he uh has all of this ability like it's almost a supernatural ability uh and he's just one of he's one of those so wow. all right i'd like to think that you know none of those headcanons really added up to a full headcanon but you amalgamate them together, and it's kind of like a headcanon zoo. Uh, yeah. yeah. Several attractions. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Headcanons are free to roam in their natural habitat. Yeah, I, I have free-range headcanons. <laughs> oh, uh, good. Yeah, they're they're free to come and go as they please. <laughs> no ideas were harmed in the making of this headcanon, which right. I have never seen a stamp that big at the end. Right? Of- <laughs> like, I know you've been staying to see this seal. Not not a seal, but like this. This it's a loose. It's a loose seal. It's a stamp. It's kind of like loose seal. Oh. All right, so now we're going to go to our show where we like to talk about recasts and remakes. Recast remake. If this movie were to be remade today, who'd you cast? What would the storyline be? Um, I would honestly love to see a. I would love to see what they did with the sequels. Um, mm-hmm. If they were to do this as a series, I would like to see a Doctor Doolittle series um, where it's like Kyla Pratt's character, but like as a teen, maybe. And it's like, yeah. um, I think animated would be fun. But if they, I really just love all of the practical effects that they did in this movie. I think that is some of the charm that they had in the movie. So, and also like animal actors are phenomenal. Um, and all the work that they, that all the different kinds of animals did in this movie was just nothing short of oh, the, amazing. The drunk monkey is incredible. Oh, come on. Yeah. Like, you, I mean, like, he, 
like that's something that makes you want to reboot Dunstan checks in and like no time. But, but all that so that'd be like Dunstan checks into rehab, uh, which <laughs> is a lot darker. Straight to HBO Max. Oh. It's the, it's the animal adaptation of a million little pieces. I love that so much. You know that James Fry thing that Oprah got really upset about. <laughs> These are the current references. Uh, uh, oh yeah, that's right. The series. So I think a series would be really great, um, and I would honestly love. Um, what I would I would say as today's Kyla Pratt, uh, Marseille Martin. Um, mm. I think that from, she uh, from Blackish, from Blackish, from yeah. Little. Um, I oh, think yeah. that she would just do an amazing job. Um, yeah. both whether it's animated or not, I would push for live action, but you know, that all depends on the budgeting. Um, but yeah. if we were to do a uh, a live action remake of this movie, I mean, if you if you have listened to this podcast for any extended period of time, you know who I'm going to say. It's it's a little more and more. Yeah, I, yeah, he's on a streak with us. Yeah. I it just I want to see more of him, and he, I just know that he would be able to take it to that degree. And as far as I know, he doesn't. He's not afraid of live animals. So, as far as we know, yeah, I think he would. I think he would get in there. I think he would like get up close and personal with some animals. Mm-hmm. I was gonna say the same thing, but I. I I knew you were going to mm-hmm. cast him. Correct. And we couldn't have we couldn't do that back to back. Um, so I went with one man, three names: Keegan Michael oh, Key. Keegan Michael Key. Don't you just want that movie now? I want it really bad. Oh, it'd be, oh, so, good. be so good. So that's for the live action remake. Uh, for an animated series, I think it would translate really well, and you you don't have. Any of the Uncanny Valley stuff that maybe trips some people up in a rewatch of this, but um, I would want it to be done in in that kind of retro style that's that's been making a resurgence really for a long time. But the way Netflix has been pushing a lot of these with like um, the Mister Peabody and Sherman show, or like the new Rocky and Bullwinkle, yeah. like that style, mm-hmm. I think, because then it's almost like a nod back to the source material. You know, it's like, it feels like it's from that era, uh, illustration wise, but you still keep all the, the modern celebrity personality put into these characters. I just think it would be a really natural, uh, series. Like I, I, if I saw that pop up tomorrow, I'd be like, well, one pay us. And two, uh, (laughs) you animated that whole thing in 24 hours. I know it. Uh, and two, I would want to watch it. Um, so yeah, that I would love to see that incarnation of it. And then my, my wish list is, you know, Jurassic park, it's getting a little crazy with the story anyway. Just do a crossover. Just do a crossover. <laughs> let, it, let them talk to the animals. Yes. You know? And there was an Easter egg to it uh, with the, uh, uh, the, the reptile egg. Right. Um, where they say, ah, oh, it's Jurassic Park. And I don't think he's referring to the movie. I think he's referring to the actual in-world attraction oh. that is just known uh, in, in their universe. So it still works. That's pretty good. Works. All right, now we're going to go to our final segment where we like to give you reasons to recommend. So, Grayson, why would you recommend the 1998 movie Dr. Dr. Doolittle? 
I'd recommend Doolittle MD because <laughs> Eddie Murphy is a fountain of comedy. Oh. Everything he says and how he says it is funny, even the dramatic moments. And it's not its not a forced comedy. It's just natural, which is why I equate it to a fountain, because it just pours out of him. It's who he is. It's in his DNA. And so it's been really cool seeing Eddie Murphy in you know dr- dramatic roles throughout his career as well. I think it, it warmed my heart to see him uh, in really the era that I became aware of him. And so, uh, yeah, it's... I recommend this for Eddie Murphy. This whole idea is really, you know, built around him and his style. Um, even though, yeah, it existed before and it's existed after. To me, you know, Doctor Doolittle is Eddie Murphy, not the other way around, like the posters would have you believe. Right. Um, but maybe that's why he's afraid of animals because he knows the crazy things they're thinking. Yeah. Um, But ultimately, I recommend this movie because it's a movie about being yourself and embracing your gifts um, and not being ashamed of what you were designed to do and leaning in to to what you're good at, you know, as long as it's not illegal or something like that. Yeah. Um, Didn't need to be said, but (laughs) but it's a movie about embracing who you are um, and using what you do to make the world a better place. And, you know, we can't get enough of that message. So that's why I recommend Dr. Doolittle. The 1998 Dr. Doolittle gives you um, more story than you were expecting. Because I think I might have had a similar misconception about the very first Air Bud movie. Um, when we first watched that, I was like, oh, yeah, it's just this, you know, silly, goofy movie about this dog who can play basketball. It's like, oh, no, there's like way more story to this than what I actually remember. I mean, it's yeah. more about exactly what you said. It's about accepting who you are and being yourself without anyone else's judgment and allowing what you can uniquely do impact the people who need your help. Like, I just love how the animals just flock to him. It's just like, Oh wow, look, he helped my wing. I'm just like, this is so sweet. Uh, And there's that sense that if he didn't do it, no one else was going to. Right. Um, And the responsibility of being able to help. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's a, it's it's a very touching movie and it's not something that you would expect from a nineties Eddie Murphy movie. Uh, and Eddie Murphy, like you said, is just a fountain of comedy and it's definitely worth a rewatch for all of those reasons. Um, because if you're looking for like just a dumb movie about animals talking, you'd be barking up the wrong tree. (laughs) Nice. And we love this movie. (laughs) And that is our review of the 1998 movie, Dr. Doolittle. Let us know what you remember about Dr. Doolittle and the Dr. Doolittle soundtrack. I'm looking for you, (laughs) Aaliyah fans out there. Uh, On our social media, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, we are at Flashback Flicks. And it would mean just the world, the the known explored world to us if you could leave us a rating and review on a scale of one to five paws. Um, I'd say, yeah, or one to five clone sheep, because um, they may all look the same, but you know, there's a big difference between one of them and five of them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. There is a difference. Um, or 
um, a scale of one to five. Um, no, I don't know. We're just going to leave it there. I was going to do like <laughs> sizing, like uh, like one being little and five being big. So, but then it just became a dumb thing to say. I mean, you heard last episode, right? <laughs> Fair. <laughs> the rating system, we've broken it. Did you hear what I said? Because I know what I said. I was there when I said it. Uh, <laughs> And be sure to tune in next time right here on the Flashback Flicks Retro Movie Podcast. Until then, remember to be kind and rewind. Next time on the Flashback Flicks Retro Movie Podcast. With the rhythm section making its way into theaters, we decided to line up and get ready to watch the movie that I'm sure is in no shape, way, or form related to the rhythm section, Drumline. The 2002 Nick Cannon movie, Drumline. What an iconic movie. It really is a symbol. You should see how I'm spelling it. But, um... (laughs) Oh, there's going to be a lot of that. (laughs) 